looking at Genesis chapter 5. Um, so Genesis chapter 5, starting at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And then continuing at verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Abby, thanks so much for reading the passage for us. Uh, why don't I pray as we begin? Father, we pray that we might hear your voice as you speak to us. Uh, we do pray against any sort of distractions for the next 20 minutes or so, Father. And we do ask that we might listen well as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, the, the question to start off this lunch and thought uh, for today is, is this. Uh, where do we find relief? Uh, where do we find relief from the problems of life? Something that was popularized in the late 90s or early 20s uh, was the early 2000s was this, uh, the cash flow quadrant. I'm not sure you've heard of it. It was made popular by this man called Robert Kiyosaki, uh, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a really famous book back in the day. And the point of the cash flow quadrant uh, was um, that you can be on the left side of, of the quadrant and you're someone who has active income. If you like, you're a normal employee, you do the eight to five and you try to earn some income. 
but if you're on the right of the quadrant, uh, you are someone who, who earns a passive income, um, who uses your money to work for itself. And the whole point of the cash flow quad quadrant was to, to move right, uh, to let your assets earn money for you, to retire early and to relax and enjoy life. I guess that's, that's not a bad advice. And some of you who are in finance would recommend that as well. But how about the bigger issues in, in life? Issues like evil and death. Now, where do we find answers and solutions and relief to these problems? I would suggest that we, we don't. We don't find answers to them and the world is, is silent. I mean, there's option one, we, we can despair. Or option two, we, we engage in escapism. I'm not sure what you guys mentioned about how you find relief, but if you think about it, many industries uh, in the economy today are built around this idea. Uh, the travel industry, the entertainment industry, alcohol and drugs. But one of the reasons why these industries thrive is because we use them to escape the pain and suffering that we experience in the world. And we, we hope that in the process, our memories are, are poor enough that we forget the pain. Option three, we become nihilistic. Uh, we conclude that life is, is utterly meaningless. You see, despair or we escape or we conclude that life is meaningless, it doesn't deal with the problem. The question is this, where do we find relief in the big issues of life? Uh, just before we dive into our passage today, um, I want to say that what we're doing here at Covent Garden, uh, we are really concerned about what the author of the Bible is saying. I've got something to admit. Uh, when I was preparing for the preaching series, I really didn't want to speak on this chapter. Um, I, uh, if you notice, the chapter is a bit strange. Uh, you have a long list of people who die, and then you hear about the sons of God and the, the, the Nephilim, and like, who are these people? Um, so I initially didn't plan to speak on this, this passage. But uh, the truth is that here at Common Garden, we are really concerned to hear what the author is saying. So I can't pick and choose uh, my favorite verse or my favorite passage to, to speak on. And I'm really glad that I was forced to think hard about this passage and to ask why has the author included this chapter here? And part of the purpose when uh, we go through the talk, I often ask you to look down to the verses. Uh, it's for you to check what I'm saying with the author. Does it make sense? Is that what the author is saying? But ultimately, we are concerned about the author because we are concerned about what God is saying. Uh, we believe here that as we hear the author speak, uh, we hear God speaking. And so that is why we really want to understand the author. The next thing to say is, um, how, how do we understand what the author is saying? And one tip for you um, is to um, look at the structure of the passage. And I've been suggesting over the past couple of weeks, the repeated phrase, these are the generations of, uh, they structure the book of Genesis. And we see that happening in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And also chapter 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Adam. And so we have two parts, if you like, to our passage today. 
chapter 5, verse 1 to 32, and 6, verse 1 to 8. Both ending with Noah. And the question is why? Why has the author put these two parts side by side? And my suggestion as we will go along in the talk is that we see two views of where we find relief. So where do we find relief? Well, let's see what God has to say. If you're following the handout, and you can see in the chat, uh, we have point one today. Uh, we find relief in the man from the blessed line. The man from the blessed line. Uh, when we look at chapter five, we see a, a genealogy, a strange genealogy of very old men uh, with very long names. Abby, I'm quite sure you're happy that you didn't have to read out all, all the names. But the question is why? Why are the names here? My suggestion is because this is the blessed line. Now, do you notice how it starts? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them men when they were created. You may notice this reminds us a lot like Genesis 1 and 2, but maybe not like Genesis 3. Now, it feels almost as if the fall didn't happen. But you remember in Genesis 3 verse 15, now let, me, uh, let me read it for you, chapter 3 verse 15. God speaks to the serpent and promises that there be enmity, enmity between him and the woman, between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so the promise that God has made of someone to crush the serpent's head, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, has set us up the expectation of two lines. And we have the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the women. If you were with us last week, uh, we saw the offspring of the serpent, a Cain, uh, killing his own brother, and then Cain had a son. His name was Enoch. But Enoch's grandson is Lamech. And in chapter 2, verse 24, uh, we read about Lamech uh, boasting about violence, about revenge being done 77-fold. We see this week, we see a contrast. Uh, we see another Enoch in verse 22. And this is the good Enoch, uh, the one who walks with God. And do you notice we also meet another Lamech in verse 28. Uh, this Lamech, um, he speaks like the, the bad Lamech, but not in boastful violence, but in hope uh, that his son will bring relief. And do you notice his age? Look down to verse 31. Uh, the days of Lamech was 777 years old. See, so he's a bit like the bad Lamech, but he has one more seven than him. And I think these are the, the clues that the authors are giving us to see that this, this line, this is the blessed line. And two people from the line, they really stand out. Uh, firstly, we see Enoch, uh, seven from the line of Adam. And I have a friend who spoke on this passage and he titled the talk, The Drumbeat of Death, uh, making the point that we all die. And that's quite a good title for, for this passage uh, because you look at that in verse 5. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 
this eight. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14. Thus, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20. Thus, all the days of Jared was 962 years, and he died. Verse 22. He now walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years and he died. No, it doesn't say that. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. See, more than just telling us that we die, I think the author is highlighting the fact that Enoch, seven from Adam's line, did not die. One of the commentators that I've been reading in preparation for this talk is this man called uh, Silhammer, and he writes this, the author purposefully underscores the death of each patriarch in chapter 5 in order to highlight and focus the reader's attention on the exceptional case of Enoch. And see, the the point of Enoch is, is this, that there is hope of life in this blessed line. You remember in chapter 3, um, Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden. But Enoch is a sign of hope that one can find life if he walks with God. The door to the tree of life is still open. And there is hope of life in the blessed line. But Enoch's not the only one in the blessed line. Now we have Noah, the tenth from Adam. And Noah, you may know that his name means rest. And rest reminding us of the seventh day rest in Genesis 2. And look at Lamech's a really hopeful prophecy about his son. I look at verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. You may remember in chapter 3, uh, when God cursed Adam, chapter 3, verse 17, he cursed the ground. The ground was cursed and hard toil was promised. And so the world has been under the shadow of curse after chapter 3. And Lamech's hope is that his son will be the one to roll back the curses of Genesis Three, uh, to bring relief from the work and painful toil of our hands. And maybe there's a hint coming from the blessed line. He's the one who will crush evil and for the new creation to happen. And so Noah, he becomes the key focus in the genealogy. So back to our question, uh, where do we find relief? And I think the author wants us to see that we find it in in Noah and the man from the blessed line. The line where there is hope of life and hope of the curses being rolled back. Uh, It's worth pointing out that it needs to be a man, a a homo sapien, if you like, through whom the world finds relief. And you might think that's a bit odd. I mean, Why not culture or technology or education or a political system or a cash flow quadrant? 
And you might even argue that it doesn't feel as if the man in charge of this country is, is bringing us any relief. So why? Why a man? But it makes sense if we understand Genesis 2 and 3, now why the world needs relief in the first place. If you remember, the world was cursed because of man, because of Adam's sin. And to deal with the curse, man needs to be central to the solution. You cannot deal with the curse without dealing with man. So where do we find relief? We find it from the man, from the blessed line. Uh, but that's not all our author wants to say. Um, in chapter 6, now we come to our second point, and we see that uh, we also find it in the man whom God favors. In chapter 6, we are confronted by a darkened world, and these are like really tricky verses. I mean, who are the, the sons of God? Who are the Nephilim? And if the verses seem really distant to you, um, the, the reason is because they are. Uh, these verses, they're describing a pre-flood world. And the commentators are really split on who the sons of God are. Um, it could be ancient kings, it could be fallen angels, it could be men from the line of Seth. Uh, and you can ask in the Q&A for, for my view on that. Uh, but the point I think that the author wants to see that what is happening here is not good. I look at verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took their wives any they chose. Uh, it's worth pointing out that the language that uh, the author is using is very similar to the language that Eve used in chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, uh, she took its fruit and ate. Uh, very similar to the, what the sons of God did here. Uh, the word for attractive is the same word as, as good. And so I think the point that the author is saying is not just Eve um, that is, is sinning. Uh, many of the sons of God, like, if you like, the whole world um, was falling again. Uh, it's a picture of increased chaos in a really darkened world. And the result, verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And we get to the punchline in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, what is presented to us in chapter 6 is a darkened, chaotic world full of disorder and discord. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Uh, far, far from the original intent of order in Genesis 1. How does God feel? I look at verse 6. And the Lord was sorry or regrets that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Do you notice the, the picture that the author paints for us? Uh, it's a father in pain, in deep anguish at his rebellious son. And it's a shocking way that the author describes it. That there's so much evil in the world that God feels sorry, or almost regrets for his creation. Uh, it grieves him to his heart. And the point there is not that God has a cardiovascular system. 
But you see, the author writes in the language to help us feel the anguish that the creator God is feeling. The language language of grieving is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe the emotions of a wife who has been deserted by her husband. And this is what God feels about the evil in the world. He's not smoking a pipe in his armchair, but he's in deep grief and pain about the evil in the world. And so there's only one outcome that can happen. Look at verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God has to remove the chaos and restore order to this world. And admittedly, it's not the nicest thing to hear at this lunchtime. But at the very least, it's, it's fair. Uh, it's a necessary outcome to the chaos that we humans bring on this earth and to each other. And that's the end. Uh, judgment must happen. But that's not the end. Uh, because in the, in the dark doom and gloom, there's a silver lining. I look at verse 8. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, where do we find relief from evil and impending judgment? Uh, we find it in the man that God favours. The Noah, the man from the blessed line, the man whom God favours. You see, it's really important that uh, we need someone that God favours. Uh, what we don't need for, for God is to, to despair. Uh, we don't need for him to, to engage in escapism, to take a trip to the Maldives to escape the pain of evil, or to down a couple of vodka shots to pretend that it doesn't exist, or to accept that life is meaningless anyway, and let the abuser in the office or the abuser at home go scot-free. See, we don't need God to ignore the evil, pretend that it doesn't exist, and save everyone. And what we really need is for him to find a person whom he favours. So where do we find relief uh, to the problems in this world? We find it from the man from the blessed line and the man whom God favours. Uh, You see, there's another man in the Pentateuch, if you like, the first five books of the Bible, uh, who finds favor with God. Uh, We meet Moses in Exodus 32 to 34, and that happens on the backdrop of a broken covenant. Uh, Israel, just after agreeing to to have a covenant with God, uh, builds a golden calf and worships it. It's like committing adultery on your wedding night. And God, he promises to blot out the generation of Israel, very similar to the language of what's happening here. But in Exodus chapter 33, verse 17, uh, we see Moses uh, finding favor in the sight of God. And as a result, the entire generation of Israel is saved, very similar to what's happening with Noah. Uh, But there are two issues with Uh, With Moses, Uh, firstly, we find out that he isn't from the right line. And secondly, he sins, he disobeys God. And the book of Deuteronomy, it ends with with the author looking forward to a new Moses, as someone who finds favor in the eyes of the Lord and someone who is from the blessed line uh, to save the world from judgment. 
See, for the Old Testament reader, uh, they were looking forward to the men who will meet these two criteria. And for us, I think we've already met him. See, Luke, the author, uh, spoke about a boy, a child, who had the favour of God upon him. And we also read about that boy in chapter 3. Uh, his name was, was Jesus, uh, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Where do we find uh, relief? Uh, we find it in the man from the blessed line, the man whom God favors. Uh, we find it in, in Jesus. See, the irony about the cash flow quadrant is that the author, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, he filed for bankruptcy a few years after. See, he's not the man to save us. And as we considered earlier, we have no answers for the bigger issues of evil and death. Escapism, despair, nihilism, it doesn't deal with those issues. And thank God he didn't act like us. And so we, we all need Jesus. See, all we got with Noah was a restart of this world, another attempt to, to try. But as we know, evil is still in, in our hearts, sin is still in the flesh, and we are no different from the darkened world before the flood. But in Jesus, he, he offers not just a restart. He offers a new creation. He offers not another attempt, uh, but a new heart to hate evil and to love good. And not just another try, uh, but a new flesh, a new body where sin and death no longer reigns. So if you don't yet know Jesus, can I really appeal to you that he is the only relief uh, to the problems of this world. And if you're a Christian and if you already know him, and he is your only relief to the problems of this world. I asked at the start um, the question, where do we find relief? I think the author of Genesis wants us to see that he only comes in the men from the blessed line and the men whom God favors. And his name is, is Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he stood in the gap uh, to save us. We thank you that he gives us a new heart, brings in a new creation, and saves us from judgment. In his name we pray. Amen.